UMass fans on your tweets and make some noise for your podcaster. Well, can you believe what's going on in the Atlantic 10 today? Oh, I remember man. when Penn State was in the Atlantic 10. <laughs> and he rips him down, he puts him in his seat, and he looks at him and goes, that was fucking hilarious, but you really just got to shut up. I think I'd rather die in nuclear war than go to Olympia. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Coming to you live from New York City, it is yours truly, the host of the UMass Basketball Podcast, Curry Hicks Sage. I'm joined tonight by my producer in our nation's capital, who is getting ready to head up to the New York City suburbs of Long Island tomorrow, but currently still in our nation's capital, the Bennett Carroll, Andrew Callagy, a.k.a. A Kalegi for longtime listeners is not with us at the moment. We have heard he may be joining, maybe not. That's a recurring riff here on the program. If he if he joins, we'd love to have him. My headphones are improved tonight, but still not as improved as we hope they eventually will be. We know last week was particularly fraught with, with tech and or internet challenges. I guess the internet is a technology, so it's a bit redundant. There's a f- few pieces of news tonight before we get going. By the way, it is, maybe I just said this, but it is Tuesday, uh, November 20th, 2018, as we're recording this. It will go up probably late tonight, maybe tomorrow morning. And before we jump into some recent UMass basketball news, and there's quite a bit of it from the last week, Let's just uh, go through some pieces of news today. So first, on the basketball side of things, John Bugs Bugsy? I don't actually know the kid's name yet, and I hope he's so good that we can go back to this very moment and put it on the intro when he's like a Hall of Famer. It's like, he didn't even know my name, you know? And it can be some like, you know, you know, the haters didn't even know my name thing for him later on. But uh, Bennett, do you have the kid's name? Yeah, his name is John Bugs the Third. He is a six-two guard from Homer, Louisiana. Uh, that's a great one because first of all, Homer—the only Homer I know is is Alaska, Homer, Alaska, I believe. But also, uh, there are a lot of Homers in every fan base, and so we can make jokes about how you're just rooting for him because you're a Homer guy. Uh, no, no, actually, that's that's not that's actually not funny at all. That was a real dad joke. Um, I, I was wondering, what, maybe throwing some sound effects where it's it wah, wah. Yeah, what? We're, we're going to get real heavy production on this episode for sure. Good, good. I can't tell if you're joking or not. Um, so, what I want, like that this kid's tape is, and what everybody says about him, you can. I've started to suss out based on it's not that my my natural eye for talent is so good although i think i'm fairly good i called pierre pretty early um in the recruit when he read when he signed I, but what i think i've gotten good at to give myself a little pat on the back here is you can sort of suss out what a kid's going to be like a little bit from the what the what the coaches and adults not what the scouts say like not like oh you know his wingspan is this and he jumps this high and he's whatever. But the like coaches, when they emphasize that the kid like loves to play hard 
and they really emphasize that, which is what you're hearing with this kid, it's always a good sign. So, you know, we'll talk about this on the show tonight, but McCall was talking after the Howard loss, the disastrous Howard loss, about how um, the team doesn't have an edge right now. And I've been thinking about that a lot in the, in the days since. And I think when I watched the highlights of this, this recruit and I kind of read a little bit about him, uh, he has an edge. He's just a gamer. And I think that's something that McCall prizes over just about any trait. Uh, and especially, you know, defensively. So I'm encouraged by that. Now, obviously, and there's some questions already on Twitter about this that we'll get to during the mailbag segment, but we've now way one guy leaving right now. So I think that means either two or three are going to have to go in addition, you know, unless one of the recruits, you know, themselves leaves. So that'll be interesting to watch but i'm encouraged to, to see another kid signed he wasn't heavily recruited i think it was like i heard like brown and like arkansas state or somebody like that was in the mix um but that you know i think there were some late folks coming in late and maybe he was getting bigger looks but i'm not really concerned about that carl pierre had no offers and um you know so that's one piece of news next piece of news of course the bigger news on the football side of things is that Mark Whipple was let go today. Well, not really let go, but information came out that he is being let go. So we actually, as far as I know, it's pretty ambiguous. We don't know precisely when. We have, we do know that his contract, you know, the buyout is considerably less if it's on December 1st. Um, which can't speak to this is, is hard to know, um, you know, but it's pretty reliable. I think it's the guy, Bruce Feldman, who's a pretty reliable reporter for the athletic at this point, or the, the athletic, I believe at this point. So he's gone. We kind of knew it was foregone conclusion. We just sort of know when it will be interesting timing wise to see, you know, how it all plays out. Josh Walfish, who's like the one full-time beat reporter on the, on the beat right now appears to be on vacation. So we don't really have the story, um, but we know he's gone. And as always happens when coaches leave the predictable, you know, camp sort of form and the defenders kind of emerge out of the woodworks and the detractors either double down or sort of feel a little badly. And they're like, eh, yeah, well, let's appreciate what you did do. I'm sort of in that camp, but it's just worth noting. I was thinking about this, that my one real takeaway on Whipple's departure and, in, and really on, on the, de- the departures of coaches in general, is that people who ordinarily profess to believe, to, to, to adhere to a certain set of values, they get completely flipped on their head when there's a coach fired that they care about. So you have kind of the ex-player contingent, a, a, you know, a subset of the ex-player contingent, who are normally, ordinarily, uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, fuck the special snowflakes crowd, if you will. You know, kind of the, this is a trope, everybody gets a trophy culture and we just got to be tough and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's some there's some validity to some of those points. And you hear those people, in, in general, that's their style. The second Mark Whipple is fired, all those people sound like the biggest snowflakes, the mushiest, you know, co- nicest, sweetest little, you know, snowflakes in the world. They're all like, what you guys don't know is that it's not wasn't just about wins and losses with Coach Whip. 
he brought us into the family. Like he was so loyal. He taught us more than anything can ever go. And it's like, yeah, that's wonderful. But like, you're the same people who are always talking about like, you, you know, you know, it's, it, it, we're so tough. And but like, so I just find it really funny how, when something impacts people personally, all of a sudden they become much more sensitive and much more willing to kind of, um, you know, see all of the, the things outside of the bottom line and all the things that they might ordinarily shit. They're, they're all of a sudden those people without any self-awareness that that's the case. And by the way, I mean, I kind of split the difference here in general in life. I think there are instances in which bottom line oriented approach is necessary. And there are instances in which having a little more sympathy or empathy or sensitivity is necessary. So life is lived in gray and, but, but people on their social media profiles tend to vacillate between black and white and then, or, or tend to be, you know, just black or white. And then they, uh, you know, when, when something actually impacts them personally, it's, it's all the same. Now subset um, of people who are like, you know, just like all about that business, you know, it's like, look, it's a business, you know, and even including players, you know, and they kind of like romanticize a little bit. The fact that they're like uh, sort of at the center of like a mini drama or a little soap opera, because I think with these instances is the sort of thing where the casual and not even casual, just the straight up, you know, onlookers pay attention to your little slice of, of the sports world or the internet in this case. Uh, and so I think there's a little bit of excitement to, uh, I would admit it, but you sort of have some, you know, players and whatnot who are, who sort of, who sort of are like, you know, just trying to, trying to get their tweets off, trying to get their takes in, trying to get their likes, trying to get their retweets, much respect. Um, and, Finally, as I alluded to people on Twitter who are kind of in the, uh, the you know, we've been through the wars camp, so to speak. It's a common trope after any, any coach is fired. It's uh, basically the, the kind of fuck you to the, to the fans and the chattering classes. The, you know, we, we've been in the trenches. We know what it's really like. And, you know, you can say what you want, but, you know, as if like the results on the field uh, meant nothing it's kind of not unlike that first camp I was talking about, but generally these are people who are even harder in the, you know, it's about results camp until their guy is gone, in which case they have every excuse in the planet to, you know, uh, justify why he should still be there. And it's just, it's just rich. The, the lack of uh, self-awareness for this crowd too. And again, I empathize with them. I understand if it's your guy, it's hard to, to, you know, to see him go. And he's, you know, I'm, I think Whipple, as I've said on this program many times, did some nice things for this program, even the second time around. I mean, I, I mean, if you compare us to Charlie Molnar, Mark Whipple looks like Nick Saban, you know, so, but he didn't do enough. We've made that case ad nauseum on this program. And now, the Twitter chattering will end, will subside about, you know, he's gone and blah, blah, blah. And now it'll get interesting. Now the, now the meaty part gets, gets here in which the candidates are thrown around. Right now we're hearing uh, Shoup, who was a D-backs coach at UMass in 06 and is now the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. We're hearing a lot of names thrown around. Uh, the, the coach of, the young coach of Maine, uh, who's like 32, I forget his name. And, and this we should have uh, 
Twitter friend of the program, Zach is God on it, maybe for a special episode to break down the coaching search because it's not my expertise. I wish Cal was here. But both Cal and I have um, at one point or another on this very program alluded to our uh, intrigue with the Holy Cross coach who's in his first year there, Bob Chesney, Division two level at uh, Assumption in Worcester, just completed his first year at, at Holy Cross and had some nice wins. I think he hasn't really righted the ship completely yet, but people speak really highly of him. And uh, he's a young guy, New England ties. And, and it's sort of breaking into the sort of young guy camp and the young guy and up-and-comer camp. And then the sort of established, has a bunch of stops, maybe as a coordinator somewhere bigger, a little bit older, and slash retread camp. Not always bad retreads, but just guys who have, um, you know, uh, had stops and, you know, been successful and then not been successful. And now, you know, they're looking for another shot. So that's where it gets really interesting. Huge, huge, huge decision for Bamford. I mean, the reality is if he can right this ship and get the right guy who can turn it around in three, four years, then I think Bamford can really write his ticket in many ways to a major Power 5 program. So this is something that will be watched very closely, not only by all of us in the UMass Twitter sphere and the local press, but also around the country by uh, later on when Bamford is looking for his next move. Uh, because if he can write the ship in three sports, and it appears like he's done so in hockey and basketball, although, you know, after this past week's results, I don't entirely know about basketball. Some would say he hasn't. Um, but the point is, uh, you know, this is the one now. And it's, it's, I'm sure he's been thinking about this for a long time. I'm sure he has targets and a plan. Uh, these are what ADs uh, are hired for. These are what ADs are assessed on. He knows that. And I'm, I have no reason to, to doubt his, um, his, you know, skill set in this regard. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what comes of it. What are you, what are you thinking, Bennett? Anything? Yeah. I mean, I personally am always a fan of a younger coach. I think the way the sport is a general in general has been going is guys who, you know, young guys with fresh ideas. Uh, you see that at both the NFL and the college level. So I'd love to say this and this again, we, we need to, I think Zach has got come having him on, him on would be awesome. I don't have any names in particular, but I'd prefer someone young and up and coming with the drive versus a guy who's been there before and is going to talk about how he's been there before. Well, and also, I mean, here's my thing. A guy who's been there before, uh, who may have had a bunch of wins at somewhere and then eventually flamed out. And so he's looking to get one more shot or, you know, even, you know, use it as a springboard, a guy who's 48 and wants to win and, and leave and get one more gig at 53 or whatever. The problem is, I think sometimes with those guys, you've kind of already seen in their career trajectory, not always, but sometimes you've seen the uh, apex, you've, and then you've seen it sort of on the downward spiral. And so, like, you get a guy in, and he, he was somewhere little. I, I can't think of anyone in particular, but it's like you get a guy in, and they, they've gone, you know, um, you know, uh, they took a, a one and eleven team to six and six or seven and five, and then they got a bigger job and flamed out of that. And there's a lot of those if you look around, and it's like, okay, that's cool. 
and I'm, I'd rather be seven and five than four and eight. You know, it's not the end of the world. Cool. But there's this part of me that's like, fuck it. We've already been seen the bottom here. Like we know what the bottom looks like. And as I said at the outset of this, uh, like of, of this show and like, not, not tonight's show, but when we talked about football early in the year, I sort of made the case that like, what's the point in getting a guy who's up, who's, who's sort of apex is going to be seven and five and, or eight and four or whatever. Because if you go, if you get, if I hire a young guy, he tries all sorts of crazy shit and you go, you know, one and 11. Well, we've already seen that. Like, okay, we've already seen it, but maybe, you maybe, maybe you get a PJ Fleck, you know, who was at Western Michigan. It was like 13 to one after in his fourth year. Maybe you get that. And just, I think as a fan, there's, and maybe it's not terribly rational and it's good that I'm not the athletic director here, but as a fan in terms of getting fired up and, you know, it's like, it's like the young, the youth gives you that kind of irrational hope that I think a fan that this fan base desperately needs. And so you get that kind of guy in there who's fired up and wants to try new things and, you know, maybe we'll make some mistakes along the way, or maybe we'll be a disastrous flame out and you just hired him too early and it was a total mistake. But as far as the moment they're hired, that's more exciting to get that guy than the kind of known commodity who may be, you know, it's again, it's how you look at how you look at an organization in general. You know, it's, it's no different, really isn't that different than, you know, like a CEO with, you know, who's a little outside the box and has never been a CEO before and wants to expand the company and, you know, go big or go home kind of thing and risks flaming out and becoming, you know, a tiny shitty company, even shittier company, or, or even, you know, <laughs> going bankrupt. Cause that's kind of where UMass football is right now. If, they, if it totally fails or, but, but it's also the possibility. Right. And so as a fan, you're just like, I kind of just want to see what that's like. That's where I'm at. And I understand the other perspective. I genuinely do. Like, look, we can't take a shot or this thing, this whole thing could go belly up. I mean, the, the state of football in the Northeast, particularly at UMass right now, it's precarious. I mean, if you look at football in general, we don't have time to get into it tonight, but, you know, I mean, it's it's not exactly in a great place in terms of, college football in the Northeast at a time in which youth participation rates are going down considerably. The sport is not really associated um, with this region right now in any meaningful way. High school talent is not nearly what it is like in much of the rest of the country. You got to get this right. So I definitely understand the impulse to be like, let's just get a guy who knows what the fuck he's doing. and can get his six wins every few years. You know, like let I get that. And then from there, maybe you build and you take a chance, whatever. But another part of me is just like, fuck it. It's a game, as you said, Bennett, is always changing. There's new gimmicks. There's new stuff. Like, catch a guy at the right time who wants a shot and just ride him for a couple of years and see where it goes. That's that's where I come down. Is it, have, I, have I basically hit on everything? Yeah, that's that's what I, the way I looked at it, at least. All right. So that's probably a, a, a bit... Uh, of an extended rant and I didn't intend for the show to be so much about football, but the reality is football means a lot to basketball too, especially with respect to conference affiliation. And this hire is critical for the entire athletic department, because as I've said before in the show, and I don't, I don't want anyone to misconstrue my words here. I do support UMass having a football program and being at the FBS level. 
I also realize that it is a tremendous amount of money. And if you can't do it right, I, I there there has to be a point, whether it's in five years, 10 years, whatever, where you say, this isn't working. And you can't just sink bad money into something forever. I mean, that's, that is a reality. So we're not there yet. This, but this, this hire, if it's a disaster, if it's a Molnarian esque disaster, you are on the edge. I mean, there are people, there are, there are prominent people in the Yukon sort of fan sphere who are calling for the, you know, who are, who are very much Yukon people calling for the, the, you know, that program to be abolished. So it's, it's not that far away if you have another disastrous tenure so it's a critical hire for Bamford okay let's get into hoops so the week that was when we last talked Bennett it was I believe uh Monday night of last week the team then played I think Tuesday and Friday games before playing last night against Arkansas Pine thank god for the Arkansas Pine Bluff game last night that gave us a modicum of uh relief because last week was Pretty fucking disastrous. Now, the Harvard game, 74-71 loss. I didn't think it was nearly as disastrous as certain people were making it out to be on Twitter. I, I think Harvard, even without their two best players, one of whom was not there for the bulk of last season, although he was there when they lost, when they beat us and he scored 30. So, fair fair enough. But... Even without those two, they they still returned everybody else from that team, and they had a fantastic freshman in the kid Kirkwood, who was really a matchup problem for us. Even though his probably probably his final scoring wasn't through the roof, but he just did a lot of things that were that made them that made them tick. And he was a, he's a really talented player who will go on to be you know an Ivy League Player of the Year, All Ivy League type player at least two times, in my in my estimation. You know, we we were not clutch. Our defense, our, our transition defense was weak. Holloway drove me up the fucking wall. You know, it, it was not a great loss. But look, we were a three and a half point favorite. We lost by three. We had chances to win. We are a young team. We've managed expectations from the start in terms of non-conference play on this program. And you knew those nights were going to come. You stomached it. You had some concerns. Uh, about shot selection and defensive rebounding and 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 another and assorted other things, but it's not the end of the world. Okay, get the bad taste out of your mouth. Flash forward to Friday. Fucking disaster, absolute disaster. Sixty six, sixty one loss, I believe. Sixty eight, sixty three loss. Don't have it in front of me. To Howard, a you know three hundred plus Ken Palm team in in out of the Miac, I believe. That's a really bad loss. Of note, Howard played respectably against uh, UMass's Thanksgiving Day opponent, Southern Illinois, last night on the road in Carbondale, uh, Illinois, and and um, you know hung with them for quite a while. We're leading at one point. I think he ended up losing by fourteen, but it sounded like a you know a much more a much closer game than the final margin. So maybe they're not as bad as as you know um, we thought, but. If you watched that game, you left very concerned because, as McCall himself said, you know, very succinctly in the post-game press conference, and I, I mentioned it in the, in the lead-in when I was talking about our, our recruit that we just signed, the team had no 
edge. And this point in the year, you know, I'm not even going to go to that place where I sort through stats because we're five games in. It's five, you know, underwhelming opponents, essentially, other than Harper, who's respectable. And there's just not a whole lot you can learn, I, I think, at this point where you, you – there's just the sample size is not robust enough to, to, to go through. And, and you can – you know, I'm sure Cal and others could, could find patterns and interesting things. But I still think at this point you have to go off of sort of the flow test, the eye test, the, the kind of just how do things look in terms of just general are they getting it this, you know, and how you quantify that. You know, I'm sure people with more analytical training – shout out to McKinney – friend of the show, uh, could, could identify things, but I'm not, and I, I believe those tools can be very useful, particularly later in the year, but I don't think we're at the point where that's relevant now. So you just got to look at sort of what you're seeing. And in terms of the things McCall preaches relentlessly that transcend, you know, statistics, things like, you know, just energy, effort, passion, intensity, connectedness, all that stuff, none of it apparent in that Howard game, particularly in the first three or four minutes of that game. It's worth noting that Howard did, you know, bank in some threes and, and hit some shots where you're just like, what? And UMass missed some open looks that they're, that they're normally going to make. And those things certainly impact the final margin. But if you watch the way we came out, there was like two or three Holloway turnovers in the first like two minutes of that game that it, it was just so careless. It was so just – there was it was just – dull and listless and it wasn't it wasn't like what we got used to with this team last year and I had quite a rant on Twitter after the game in that like I just want to see the passion and the effort and the intensity the rest of it I'm confident will eventually come it it was not there again struggled on the on the glass gave up way too many offensive rebounds don't have in front of me but that sheet would have too many shots which was concerning 16 I think on the stretch, you know, took a shot with like 16 seconds to go. It was kind of a flat-footed, deep three from the top of the key. That was one of the shots that, yeah, he can make, but I feel like we could have got a better look. Um, you know, we just – you could just see as Howard um, gained a little bit of confidence, they started trapping a little. They just started playing a little bit of, with a little bit of it more intensity and confidence, and we just folded. There, there were some bright spots. I think Jonathan Laurent was really good, particularly in the second half. We came back, cut the lead, and you know we're tied. We went on like a 19-0 run or something over the course of you know eight, ten minutes in the end of the second, end of the first, beginning of the second. And you're just like, all right, we got our shit together. We're gonna close. And then we just resorted, reverted back to bad habits, bad shots. Um, just kind of, just kind of like this listless, you know, um, indifferent style of play doesn't help that the Mullins, you know, in these games, frankly, sounds like a bit of a morgue, but you know, it was awful. And it, and it, fortunately, now we're getting to the Pine Bluff game last night. I think it awoke in them. It was, it was a necessary wake up call, right? Because, and I, and I think McCall alluded to this in his post game press conference last night. At one point, he said. We're three possessions away from being five and zero oh right now, and he's right. But I think what he was also getting at, and what I've been trying to get at, is that when you're not great in terms of you're not transcendently talented, and you don't have a ton of experience together, you can't 
just kind of like cakewalk through games and expect to get wins. And the reality is three possessions separate you from being three and two and five and oh. Three possessions separate you from there being a legitimate buzz around this program entering a really big two-game stretch in in Las Vegas and and a real excitement as people are kind of home on Thanksgiving and tuning the game on. The casuals are starting to say, oh, what's on TV tonight? We'll watch 5-0 and UMass. Sure, I'll give them a shot. You're you're three possessions between that and a subset of the fan base being like, maybe McCall's not so good after all. And that's sort of absurd, right? That, that three possessions can separate that, 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 you know, that there's a chasm of, of like emotion and, and feel around a program. But the reality is that's the way things are in a sport where there's 30 games a year and you're already a sixth of the way through your season, you know, a week and change in or two weeks in or whatever, you know, that's just the reality of it. And I think that this that a loss to a bad team on our schedule that everybody, including, you know, including me had chalked up to a win. I think, I don't want to say it's good. It's never good to lose, but you hope that it, it really galvanizes this group. And the performance I saw last night beyond the, the box score, box score and the final score of like, you know, 92 to 60 or whatever. And the fact that they, they found their, their, um, their stroke again from, from beyond the three point arc, beyond those things. And, what you noticed was almost in like an over the top way, like a, almost like felt like they were performing and acting, which I'm fine with. Every time a guy took a charge, the bench was up. They were like sprinting over to grab him up. You know, you saw those things, which McCall emphasizes to the point of like, wow, they're, they're really like extra with it tonight. But you were thrilled to see it because the fear when he talked about the lack of edge was also that there, this team lacked an urgency lacked the understanding that every possession has it matters every play is purposeful and that you can't give away games and it's hard you know these things aren't going to come easy so it's very encouraged to see that uh everybody was good last night including Calais Turner Morris who came off the bench and gave them meaningful minutes for the first time Trey Wood was fantastic I I just want to you know quick side note Pip had five points last night Five points, one of six shooting, team one by 32. When Pip is passing, rebounding, finding the open man, doing, we are a better basketball team. I mean, he scored 36 against Harvard, right? 13 for 23. There, there's no reason for him to take 23 shots on a team with this much depth. I mean, yeah, if it's a freakish night where he's, you know, 14 for 17, and he can be that guy. That's fine. But, you know, when Pip shares the ball and he plays in the flow of the offense, particularly when he's playing off the ball, I think UMass is at its best. And I want to just quickly say, Trey Wood is really good. He's a true, pure point guard. He's strong. He gets in the lane. He keeps the offense flowing at in a way in which, frankly, Pip, as masterful as he's been all year, it doesn't do as a pure point guard, you know, bringing the ball up the court. I, I, I want to see more lineups where Pip can be a dominant off-ball scorer and Trey Wood can facilitate a lot of offense because I think that just keeps that kind of uh, pacing and kind of the dribble, dribble handoff stuff behind the three-point line moving more seamlessly. I also think that when DeJiri Baptiste arrives next month from Vanderbilt, 
and they want to go and pl- and I expect them to play more in transition. I think Trey Wood is also terrific in transition and, and getting the ball up the floor. I think Pip is a lights out shooter and you can have him and either Cobb or Pierre on the floor at the same time as your shooter. And then you follow that up with Jonathan Laurent, who is has been and these are just kind of me just sort of wrapping on on the team more broadly now, broader themes. Jonathan Laurent, he's been a godsend. I mean, he is so solid. We haven't had a guy like that in a long time, it feels like, who just you just even when he kind of makes mistakes, you just don't get annoyed. You're like, this dude knows what the fuck he's doing. He just knows what the fuck he's doing. He can shoot it a little bit, he gets rebounds, he can he's freak athlete, you can dunk on dudes, you can hit a mid-range jumper. You know, even when he like makes a turnover, for some reason I just can't get mad at him. Like it just feels like he knows what he's doing. He's he's experienced. He's been he's been ready from the jump. So I think a lineup in which he is kind of playing a hybrid uh, guard forward role because he can step back and shoot it a bit. Baptiste is playing a defensive minded um, trailer role where he can get rebounds and go, and also play as a rim protector. That allows guys like Trey and Pip to kind of hound guys and, and trap a little bit. And then you play a third big guard who can shoot it and defend in either, uh, you know, Cobb or, or um, Cobb or um, Pierre. Um, I think that might be a lineup I want to see a lot of. So, you know, obviously be a little small, but that's something I'm looking forward to seeing. I just think at a certain point when you have a pure point guard like Trey Wood with what he's doing, it's, it's hard to keep him off the floor. So now we enter a really essential tournament in Las Vegas. You know, I think it's pretty essential that we take a win out there. And whether that comes against Southern Illinois in the opener or against Tulsa, presuming we lose the opener and face Tulsa, because I think it's all but assured that Nevada, the top five, the top five team in the country will win their opener against Tulsa. Whether it's, you know, Tulsa or Southern Illinois, I think we need one because we were we were hoping to come out of there in many ways. Six and one, five and two at worst, right? And now we're three and two. And so it's 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 pretty essential we win a game there. And I think Southern Illinois is a great test. They are I uh, I think they bring back all five starters. Cal talked about it on our preview episode. Um They've opened the year with losses to really close losses to Kentucky and top 25 Buffalo, both by limited margins. I think they lost to Kentucky by like 12, but they were up in the second half. It was like a 12 point win going away with some free throws down the stretch kind of thing from what I recall. And it's a neutral floor. UMass has the talent, you know, it's just a matter of will we put it together in a game against a a sort of similar opponent? It's not about Southern Illinois. It's about UMass right now because it's just, you know, I don't have a whole lot to say. I wanted, I tried to get a Southern Illinois beat right around. I was a little too late. My apologies. I, I just think the one thing I've been a little bit concerned about this year is if you just look at the flow and the tempo and the pace of UMass games, particularly when, and this is, I think, maybe why I'm biased in favor of Trey Wood. There just seems to be like this kind of uneven sort of sloppiness. It's not sloppiness like they're making terrible mistakes. It's just like the offense sometimes is just a little disjointed. It's like guys don't quite know where to be. It doesn't flow seamlessly. You know what I'm talking about, Bennett? Yes. Hello? Yes, I do. Yeah, again, sorry. I had to 
I had to unmute two buttons, so it takes a couple Sorry. seconds to click over there. But yes, absolutely know what you're talking about. It's it's hard to put words to because it's not. It's just like this kind of. It's like it just feels not crisp. I I. I and I think I think some of it is just movement things and little motion things, or you know, um, sort of figuring out what to do once a defense adjusts and knows what we're doing. Kind of like that secondary option dynamic. Um, so, you know, some of it's just getting used to where guys are on the court. And when we don't have those issues, we're terrific. And I also think when we get out in transition, which we don't do nearly enough of, we're 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 a better team. And I, and I, I think it's going to be really worth seeing it against a defensive-minded team in Southern Illinois who understands how to guard, who has a bunch of seniors. Running our stuff um, will be a challenge. We won't get just, you know, easy baskets in the half court. So I think we're going to have to get out, you know, force tempo a little, get out and transition. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they how they rise to this challenge. We're going to know a whole lot more about where this team has come after these two games, I would love a shot at Nevada, but I'm not looking beyond Southern Illinois. Um, you know, I think if we do play Nevada, I want that is a top five team, and this that this would be UMass, uh, still very new group of UMass players in terms of playing with one another. Playing a top five team in Nevada, yes, we know it's not near Vegas, their campus, but it's still a lot less travel for them. I don't want UMass fans to get discouraged if that is a 20 or 25 point loss. I, I, I mean, there's still a long way to go this year. And frankly, I don't want UMass fans to get freakishly excited if we somehow keep it within eight or 10 either. I think that you got to see how the game itself plays out beyond whether the ball goes in the basket. It sounds cliche or what, or, you know, coach speak, but it's just a lot of it's just an execution thing. How do we run our stuff against better opponents? How do we limit mistakes against these teams? So a lot of it it does genuinely require watching these games. So tune in because I think you can you can get a sense of where UMass is at to some degree in these two games by just how it looks, right? Like it doesn't. I know that's that's unsat. Maybe it's an unsatisfying piece of analysis, but watch the games because I think. You know, even even Howard, it was like, yeah, like we missed some shots and, you know, whatever. But it was like it wasn't even the result. It was the way and maybe Howard's better than we think. It was the way we got up and down the court. It was it was our body language. It was those things that McCall, frankly, talks a lot about that you that say a lot about teams, because when you're not world class talented, you know, three possessions again, three possessions separate us from being. Five and zero, and three and two, and these are going to be essential games. It's time for Sam the Mailman, your UMass Athletics mailbag updates. First one is a non-hoops-related question, and I'm totally fine with that. Nice little palate cleanser. And this one is food-related, so it's really literally a palate cleanser to a degree. Son of Large Mark, great friend of the show, says, what would ruin your Thanksgiving dinner more? Assume they are equally as messed up. 
when he says messed up, I presume he means like poorly cooked. Here are your three choices, Bennett. Dry turkey, burnt stuffing, poorly mashed potatoes. Then he says also real cranberry sauce or from a can. So let me go through these individually because it's, it's an essential question. Dry turkey's bad. Burnt stuffing, hot take, can actually be quite good. So that's definitely off my list. If it was fuck, marry, kill, I'd fuck the burnt stuffing. <laughs> dry turkey and poorly mashed potatoes. When you have a lumpy mashed potato, it can be disastrous. However, it depends on how poorly mashed slash lumpy we're talking. Because sometimes you can kind of work around the lumpiness and there's enough sort of smoothness in there that you can you can get you can still get something out of it. Likewise, with dry turkey, if you have a good gravy, you can mask the dryness of the turkey by, you know, dipping it in the gravy and kind of like. So that's where it becomes a challenge. Really, the question is, you know, is there enough quality potato amid amid the the um, the bumps or so if you have no gravy period and it's just dry turkey on its own then I'm gonna say dry turkeys is is the worst because at least usually with the mashed potatoes there's some redeeming mashed potatoes mixed into the lot and then I don't really have an opinion on cranberry sauce one way or the other, to be honest. I, I, I just – so many Thanksgiving foods are so uniquely Thanksgiving only in nature that I just don't have them enough during the rest of the year to be able to make an assessment. Even mashed potatoes, like I, – I mean I'm eating like roasted potatoes right now. I can't think of the last time I had mashed potatoes. I really, I really can't. So um, I don't really have an opinion on the cranberry sauce question. Uh, but I think real, if it's, again, the thing with real versus can in, in any dynamic is who's making it, right? If you have like a world-class chef who can make make it, it's always better when it's real, if the person's fantastic. But the truth is there's a lot of bad amateur cooks out there who would could just as, you know, who would be much better off being unpretentious and not assholes and just serving uh, – you know, cranberry sauce out of a can because the truth is mass manufactured anything, if it's still in business, is probably has a vague respectability if it hasn't gone out of business, right? So it's like you take that, whatever, you know, mass manufacturing kind of uh, food science process it went through in the in the lab because those people know more than some fucking, you know, you know, jabroni who's making his, you know, who's a hardo and making his like, mediocre real cranberry sauce but if you have a world-class not world-class if you just have a really quality person who cares about food and they've chosen to make the cranberry sauce from scratch much respect but i'm of the belief that on thanksgiving your cranberry sauce guy is probably not the person who's the world-class chef in the family because it's (laughs) like you need it's like in economics like i think it's like what are they i didn't take any any real economic i had a little maybe one or two but like once the math came in, it was too hard. But the uh, in economics, like comparative advantage, it's like you, you, it's like basically like why does France make 
wine and America make fucking the NFL or whatever. It's it's not that like they can't play football in France or that it can't make wine in America, but it's like a certain point you got to maximize like your your strengths and what you know what you have. And like France has like a lot of wine, and we have a lot of like people who can play football. Whatever the point is, the comparative advantage for like we could make good wine too is what I'm saying. But it's like we get it yeah. from France. No, no, I understand. I understand yeah. where you're coming with. So uh, I, I feel like the great cook, if they're asked to do like, even if they do like three things, which is like more than enough, you're not having them make your cranberry sauce because that's an ancillary product. It's not the it's not the the kind of driver of the meal. You want your best people on on your turkey. You want your you know your best people on your frankly your mashed potatoes, your stuffing, but. In general, I would so I'm gonna I'm gonna say now more definitively that if I'm taking my chances on the uh, on the can there, you, you have you have uh, thoughts here? Uh, well, so here's the thing. Uh, I'm gonna be real with you guys. Uh, my family eats Chinese food on Thanksgiving. So, Dude, you are so fucking Jewish. Yeah. Oh, I'm well aware. I mean, well, wait. Let me let I'm me hit Jewish, you with the. I just let me be clear. I can yeah. say that. Let's let's just let's just. <laughs> yeah, it was that was a very know. hard Jew. Um, <laughs> like you can't say that if you're not Jewish, yeah. okay? Just let's let's clarify that. Like black people can say the N word, white people can't. There's just certain Yeah, but so you know, actually I mean, if you're really close to me, yeah, you can I say, say that. Your like, I'm, I'm married it's... a Catholic, like she can say that, you know, yeah. but carry on. Um but so mid uh black but Jews Friday... do wait, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Jews do think like um, Jews do Chinese Christmas food too. on Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's both. a thing. Yes, that is that Secular is a well known Jews, thing. You know, not religious, particularly religious Jews, but like Jews don't do fucking Chinese on Thanksgiving. All right, so let let me hit you with the reasoning. Okay, so first off, no one in my family likes turkey. So just starting with that. Period. Fair, fair, okay, okay fair. But in two thousand eighteen. Uh, Black Friday shopping starting at like 6 p.m. on Fridays isn't a big deal. Or 6 p.m. on Thursday, that's the norm. The thing is, the first place in the country that opened at midnight, before it was a thing, is the Tanger Outlet Mall in Riverhead, New York. It's on the end of Long Island, probably about 35, 50 miles from my house. Now, I hate shopping. I happily do not shop. But the rest of my family loves shopping and you know what you're just continuing to oh i'm well aware aware. bad jewish and they love they love the sales of course Um, see this this is the difference between when you're a jew who grows up in western mass and there's not that many jews around some of these like stereotypes about jews you don't even know (laughs) is a thing because you didn't grow up around those you know like that's the the reality yeah but so even if we did like turkey you know what's not fun is running around for seven hours with a turkey sitting in your gut, like putting you to sleep. So if instead, if you have Chinese food and then wait three hours or whatever, like you're good to go. And uh, I will go. Uh, I just hang out, and watch I don't football. I know about that. Chinese food doesn't always. I mean, it can, it can, it can it, give you bowel issues. Well, we go we go to a good Chinese. We go to like a legit Chinese place, not like a corner store Chinese place. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, Chosen, uh, if you're ever in in the Long Island area, want kosher Chinese food that's good. Uh, Chosen, Wait, it's, it's, are, it's kosher. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You you that's what I'm saying. You you you're growing up in the middle of nowhere or whatever. 
Yeah, this is a this is a thing, and it's chosen as in chosen, but pronounced uh, pronounced differently. Um, it's, dude, that dude, it's is really like it's really wild. Good. Dude, it's really good. Wow, um, holy shit! Like they have the rabbi make sure. That... Yeah, they they they'll, they'll bring a guy in to make sure that the stuff is kosher. Everything. Yeah, it's a is purely your, kosher is, place. Are, do you keep? Do your parents keep kosher? Um. For the most part, yeah. I'll I'll say much yes. Much respect. Much respect. I mean, look, I I don't. I, it's it's really I'm hard. Team to. shellfish. So I'm so hard on team shellfish. For those who don't know what the fuck we're talking about right now, <laughs> kosher is the dietary <laughs> restrictions for religious Jews. And I was calling you out as a secular Jew, a non-religious no. Jew, yeah. because that's what a lot of non-Jews do is they go to Chinese. But not kosher Chinese. They yeah. just go to Chinese. Like they, dude. I go to Chinese. They get spare ribs, which you can't have it because that's pig, it, and you it, can kosher people. Well, you know, like team spare ribs and team shellfish. Well, Cho Sen uh, in Great Neck, New York. If you're ever out there, has kosher spare ribs. Uh, they're just beef, and it's delicious. Yo, this could be my pregame spot for the uh, <laughs> Barclays Center. By the way, this it's, year that would be that would be a very roundabout trip, but. Because you'd have to, you'd have to head. I feel like Long Island Railroad goes into um, goes into uh, Atlanta right right at the Barclays Center. Right, but you'd have to go from Manhattan to the Great Next Stop, and then get back on the Great Next Stop, and you probably have to transfer through Jamaica. Um, I'm not, I don't remember exactly which line. True, true. It's, it's right, a little bit much. Really yeah. But anyways, uh, so yeah, so my family's done that for probably close to a decade at this point, um, and wow. so. I, I don't have normal Chinese food or normal Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm totally cool with it. Uh, mashed potatoes are delicious when they're good, uh, and that's the only thing of that list that I ever eat. So I'm going to go ahead and say that's the best. Big time answers there. And, you know, Ben, I just want to point out that in these times, and not to make light of in which um, there's been some bad news of late for, for, for the uh, – for the Hebraic tribe of which we belong, um, you're not doing yourself any favors in terms of ingratiating yourself with the uh, non-Jewish Americans who listen to this <laughs> prestigious podcast by <laughs> it basically throwing by basically throwing Thanksgiving under the bus. Like every stereotype about like you know you're not a real they say like dude fucking up your game we dude we go to the chinese restaurant actually plot to take over the world or actually plot to our continued take over we already we already control the world it's, it's the Yo, next step. all right all right all right all right care let's carry on <laughs> <laughs> next question oh they're gonna use they're gonna use that against I'm, you I'm gonna get, I, I say, anyway isolate that voice uh, i'm sure um you should do it with like an evil voice where it's like take over the world <laughs> and it's just like our shitty ass it's like our shitty ass sounding podcast <laughs> like yeah you guys run the like you guys run the fucking media um and that's why you like can't even have like halfway decent sounding audio <laughs> while you talk about like duquesne basketball anyway um okay next question from t davis 418 Concern level about the team coming out flat against freaking Howard and overall concern about team not buying into McCall on defense. Holloway still out of shape? If so, should Chapman get more PT? I think you meant Chapman, um, but I've made that mistake too. Let's take those in reverse order. Chapman w- should and has been and will, I think, continue to get more PT 
I think he will be well served playing the four when Baptiste comes and not having to play the five. Um, I can't fully explain why I think that. I just think that he's playing a little. He's he's still a little bit small to play the true five, and I think he's also pretty good facing the hoop and can make plays um, facing the hoop, facing the rim, and you know passing and and otherwise. So I think I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, Holloway is definitely still out of shape. That's undeniable. He still has moments where you're like, damn, you should be scoring 20 points a game because he did it against. Uh, low, no, he did it against UNH where he was nine, and, and then he had moments against Howard the other, or against uh, Pine Bluff the other night where he just like it's so easy for him to score. But there were moments, particularly in that, um, uh, both in the Harvard game and the Howard game, where it's like just go up strong to the fucking hoop, man. Just fucking go up with it, and he didn't, you know. And it was like, how are you like losing the ball or getting blocked when you're like? Literally 120 pounds bigger than your defender. So, yeah, he's still out of shape. Concern level out of uh, McCall on... Am I concerned that the team's not buying into McCall on defense? Not really, because the Pine Bluff thing um, showed that they're very capable on that front. I think it's a little bit of, like, um, just attention issues sometimes. I think it's just, like, staying locked in for entire possessions is just something that college teams struggle with and it and it and it clicks eventually over time you know but it just i think you can't over underestimate how many times you have to just say it and say it and say it and just make sure guys are locked in for especially with a 30 second shot clock like you realize if you watch a little nba then you go to college like 30 seconds is a long ass time and you know it's hard to keep guys in front of you 30 straight seconds so I'm not concerned at this point. I've had concerns that there are these major lapses, and I was really concerned in a couple in those two bad two losses with the lack of transition defense. I thought teams were just getting up and down much too quickly, um, and I think sometimes like Holloway, other bigs, you know, there's like certain struggles on switches, and they're just like easy blowbys. So I have concerns, but I don't put that on McCall because I do think to some degree defense. I guess you can put on a call if you think it's a motivational thing. But defense, just like he said it himself in all in the post game press conference, he's like, "You just got to sit down and fucking guard." He didn't say the f word. That was my uh, added <laughs> portion. But it's just like, yeah, sit down and fucking guard. And I think McCall is just having to reinforce that constantly, and he's just going to have to keep doing that. Um, so I'm not concerned yet. No, Matthew Parent says, "Why do we think shooters?" Matthew Parent's a good friend of the show says, why do we think shooters like Hayward aren't seeing as much time on the court? Or really, why aren't we seeing Hayward more? Yeah, because he said like Hayward, and I was like, well, who else is he referring to? Um, I don't totally know, because Hayward was impressive. I believe it was in that opener when he hit three threes, and he sort of hasn't played much since. I think he, um, he's an interesting guy, because he's, like, he's pretty big. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he's more than I thought. I thought for some reason he was like really thin. He's, I, I don't think he, in probably in McCall's mind, he probably does not yet feel comfortable. Um, he's a little too small to guard a big and maybe not quick enough to guard a guard. That's my, it's also a fact that the fact that Pierre Pipkins and Cobb 
are all really good shooters who kind of can play the two, particularly when Trey Woods on the floor. So there's just only so much space, you know, for, and, and like last night, Cobb was like six for seven. Pierre found his stroke again. Um, Pipkins, you know, was playing fantastic, uh, in everything other than shooting. Trey Wood was getting minutes and Claire, Claire get, Claire get, Claire Joe is what ESPN plus has been saying. When, when, yeah. when their audio works. But McCall says Clergit, whatever. The point is, Keon <laughs> hit a three last night. If he starts finding a shot, and he's he's a fantastic defender, it's like, just where are those minutes going to come from? So, you know, I, I, do, I was a little bit critical of McCall in that uh, Howard game, in, in that Pierre, Cobb, and Pip, I, I want to say combined for like, if I had to guess, it was probably like eight for thirty-six or something ridiculous. They were all really off. And in that instance, I fuck it. Put it in Kieran Hayward. Like, give us a spark, you know. Um, and I actually missed a small portion of the game, so and I got to go back and watch it. Like the basically the last ten, like basically ten minutes at the end of the first half, start of the second. So I don't know. Um, and I actually was weirdly clamoring for unique McLean in that game just because I thought he would he could spark when things were so dreary and bleak there for a bit but yeah so that was a game where I was like yeah Kieran Hayward should be in this game and, and what can he do for us but um when those other we're so deep at that spot that when those other guys are, are hitting shots it's almost just like it doesn't matter if Kieran Hayward's the best defender on the team it's almost just like if those guys are hitting at that clip like what are you gonna do so it will be definitely interesting to see. And I think that'll be an interesting one in Vegas where you play back-to-back nights um, after, after you know, traveling and, and flying. And I think, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's an opportunity for these, you know, these guys to be, you know, we'll, fatigue will we'll test them. And when you play against a, a team like Nevada, if you get to that game, you're going to need any weapon in your arsenal. So, and you're going to need just scoring. Like, you're just going to need guys who can hit shots. And, and he can. So I'm not closing the book on him yet any means he's only a sophomore um but you know when you have a lot of talent around you sometimes i think you just it's just that's how things shake out scary pat good friend of the show p veal v-e-a-l-e-7 on twitter he says he he asks a bunch of questions because he says he's never here ask uh, you know he never sees it when i ask for the um for the questions for the mailbag he says what player has been the most pleasant surprise this year most disappointing feel free to omit i hate negative questions i kind of don't if i'm being candid if you could make one alteration to the starting lineup who goes in who goes out crunch time five okay let's go uh in order that you presented them what player has been the most pleasant surprise this year uh, i think jonathan loren just because pip's been fantastic but we, we kind of knew that um cobb has been mostly really really good but he's had a you know, an off night or two. I think just Laurent provides this level of comfort that, and solidness that, and, and just kind of mis- relatively mistake-free, good decision basketball that you know, even when he misses, you're like, oh, that's a good shot. It was a good attempt. That's been a real, a real kind of concern for us. So, uh, is it surprising? Entirely, I sort of knew that. I think maybe Trey Wood because I didn't know where he would be at as a freshman. And I think by the end of the year, I may say Samba Diallo because I think he's he's clearly so talented. He just 
doesn't, as McCall has alluded to, hasn't quite figured out little things just spacing wise. And but he he's got a lot of talent. I think by March he might be the answer. So remains to be seen. But I'd say right now it's probably a tie between Laurent, Laurent or Laurent. People say both. Um, and and uh, Trey Wood. Um, most disappointing. It's hmm, a good one. Let's see. Most disappointing. Holloway. I mean. I don't know, because he's had his moment, too, and it's sort of like, and it, it's like, I said this at the beginning of the year, I said it, I've said it so many times, I'm like, I'm not going to get mad, I'm not going to get mad, I'm just going to get that 9-6 and six or 10-6 and six out of him, and just know that that's what we're going to get, and I'm not going to be disappointed, and no matter what, no matter how much I think he could have been, blah, blah, and then, invariably, you're disappointed, so it's almost like I feel bad that I set those expectations in that, like, no matter what he does, you know, every because it's like every time a 320 pound guy like doesn't hit a layup, it's maddening. Whereas like, so even if he goes for thirty, I'm like, oh, but why did he miss that one? You know, so it's not entirely fair, but it's a follow up. Um, then he says, uh, if you could make one alteration to the starting lineup, who goes in and out? So I don't know if it's a starting lineup because I think as McCall and others in basketball world have alluded to, I think the starting five thing is kind of just symbolic and in many ways meaningless because about who's your best five, which is your, which he, uh, scary Pat asks, you know, crunch time five. So maybe it's the same thing, but I, I think, I think right now, and this will change, does change a lot, but I think right now I'm going to say Trey Wood, Luan Pipkins, Carl Pierre, but if you have to go defensive-minded, I might pull him at times. But Carl Pierre, Jonathan Laurent, and maybe right now Chapman, but I think eventually Baptiste. I think he will emerge in that role. And I still think in certain instances Holloway. So I, I'm, it's not a great answer, but my crunch time five, this could be a cop-out a little, but I really do think because this team has a lot of uh, like ability to mix and match. It really depends on the opponent. But against the Atlantic 10 opponents where there's not dominant bigs, except on, you know, maybe one or two teams, I'll probably go with crunch time. I think Carl Pierre, you still need on the floor because he can bury shots. You need Pip because he can get in the lane. He's obviously a star. Um, if it's like one possession crunch time, it's different because then you just maybe go with your scores. Whereas like Trey Wood, I think if it's like, last four minutes and you need to come back from four down, you still might put him in because he can push tempo. But definitely Pip, Pierre, Laurent are like locks. And then maybe Cobb uh, and then Chapman. So like four guards and, and a big who can get offensive rebounds and defend because Hall always struggles on the defensive end. Uh, but you could also replace one of those four guards and put in... Um, I don't fucking know. I lost track of that question. Hopefully, it gave me something of somewhat of a satisfactory answer. Mike Lacapo, M. Lacapo says, "Who signs Whipple next?" Uh, I think this may be the end of Whipple's coaching tenure. Period. Uh, I think if he wants, he could be, you know, quarterbacks coach at um, like a FCS school, or you know, um, offensive coordinator at like a academically oriented D three school. I don't, you know, 
and that's not because he doesn't. I think Whip is probably gets a little bit of a raw deal in terms of, like people think his play calling is so, so terrible. I still think he's in his bag of trick that at a place where they haven't scouted them sufficiently or whatever, he could he could add value, and he, he knows the ropes around a program. So maybe he goes like he, he's an Ivy League guy. School wants him as a as a coordinator or something. I think that's a good move late in life. Um, you know, he's if he was. 15 years younger, it's a very different question, but I don't know what he wants. I, I presume he gets this time and six years last time. So I, he he's going to be fine financially and all that. So it just depends what he wants to do. Um, I really don't know the football world well enough to, to understand precisely where he would go. Sports commenter who's been asking questions on recent shows, the O is a zero, as is the O in commenter is also a zero. It says, would you be willing to have basketball drop to a lower conference in order to allow football to join? No. He also asks, who do you expect to leave or not invited back to support the three new scholarship commits? Yeah, so Bennett, right, that's a great question. Is that is it is it that we have, so we have the kid from Michigan, the center, Jalen Thomas, I believe is his name. We have this kid, Bug. We have Preston Santos from Rhode Island. Are those the only three, or is there a fourth as well? Uh, I'm, look, I'm looking up right now. So I'm trying to check 24-7, whatever that site is. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's just those three. I, I feel like there's a fourth. Am I crazy? Hold on. It's giving they me, sign another it's guard. me the other stuff. I'm just looking for the straight numbers, please. Uh... It's hiding it well. Uh, Trey Woods, Diallo. Yeah, it's not hitting me this well year. with it. Yeah, no, I know. It's I'm trying to find the headlines, and it's it's not hitting me with the headlines I'm looking for. I feel like, was there another kid? All right, well, either way, if it's only three, we know Holloway's gone. He's, his eligibility's up. And then the obvious two right now are unique and, and Turner Morris. I mean, there's no, there's no hiding that fact. It's not, you know, I don't, I don't. Maybe, but so if there's someone else who leaves, then it's like, okay, well, could Kieran Hayward graduate in three years because he had one at LSU and then transfer somewhere right away and play two? Maybe. I don't know. He's from Australia. He's already been to Louisiana. Like, don't think he would want to leave. And then there's, of course, the every UMass fan's greatest fear, which is Pip leaving after, you know, to play, to graduate and play somewhere you know, at a high, slightly higher level, or, you know, really high level, because he could basically play anywhere in the country for his fifth year. So that's a concern. But, I mean, the obvious ones, yeah, you can't. I mean, I don't – it's like you gotta, you got to call a spade a spade here. It's like Turner Morris and McLean in particular are basically not playing, with the exception of Turner Morris last night. Played really well. Um, so, like, I, I don't – you know, there's really no way around. Like, those are the two. and But I feel like they might – there might be one more, so if there's another, uh, that becomes very difficult. I just, I just don't, I just don't know. I, I really, you know, you, it's a lot of it. You got to know is like what the situation is academically. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, but yeah, Pat Conroy, eighty nine. Do you see something different about Carl Pierre's shot from last year? Wondering if the poor shooting is just an ice cold start or a terrible Markel Fultz situation. So first of all, I wouldn't call it a terrible start. I think that's. Not fair, Bennett. What, what can you pull up? What Carl Pierre is shooting on the air because 
Yeah. This question almost seems to ignore the fact that he was like really good last night. I'm going to guess he was probably like seven for 12, maybe something like that. And he had a great game in the, was it the opener against Lowell where he had 21? He had a really bad game against Harvard and I guess he struggled against Howard. Um, he was awful against Harvard. And I think he struggled against Howard as well. He was like one for five from the line to start the game. All right. He is shooting uh, 39 for 26 from three through five games of a 346 to three-point percentage. So 35% is like fairly decent if you're anyone but Carl Pierre. But then what about from the field overall? From the field overall, he is 20 for 49 for a 40.8%. So not disastrous. I mean, and it's still early. So I wouldn't say terrible, and it's certainly not Markel Fultz. I mean, let's like let's not you know love Pat's you know passion for the show, but I don't know, Markel Fultz. Um, of note, though, there have been instances in which I'm like, eh, it does look a little less smooth than last year. Not even less smooth. The release looks a little less, uh, a little less quick, and a little flatter. There's there's been it feels like he's front rimmed some stuff. It's, it feels like it's like. There's instances where Pierre will shoot it, and I feel like I'm like watch. I'm like in like the Mighty Ducks movie or something, where it's like the last moment, and it's like na 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 na. You know, like it just feels like it takes forever for the ball to yeah, like it, get it's, there. It's then, in, in the full slow motion. Yeah, it, it just feels like it's like going to hit the ceiling, and then it like front. Um, but then there's times where you're just like you can just see it. You're like, oh. You know, bent his knees like one tenth of a second longer. Absolutely, know that ball is going in. You can run down the court. You know, so I think he'll get it. He'll get his hook back. You know, and some of it's like, like guys are they're Ding up, and 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 I think we're gonna have to run some sets for him. And um, it seems like he's improved his two point shooting a great deal. So um, I'm not worried yet. Uh, he's such a grinder. He's such a hard worker that I just feel like, you know. Carl will be smooth. Scary Pat checks in again, and he says, would you rather win a close game against Southern Illinois and get smoked by Nevada, 20-plus, never close, lose a close game to Southern Illinois, comfortably over Tulsa, 10-point win, solid execution, etc.? Good question. So I'm. this is like kind of like the, when we were talking about a coach before. It's like as a fan who has trouble controlling his impulses, I, like, want to at least get the shot at Nevada. But if we know going in that it's an L by 20-plus, and we know what that could do to the future confidence of this team, i I rather get the close loss to SIU and win comfortably over Tulsa. But, like, you want to get the shot. You know what I mean? And so... It's like if you change the question to, would you take your chances getting smoke, knowing that it's likely, which frankly it may be, I'd take that harpy. You know what I'm saying? Bennett, where do you come down here? Uh, so I work with a guy who went to SIU, so I'm taking the SIU win absolutely. Um, okay. But I, 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 comple- I completely understand and agree with where you're coming from. But, yeah, for personal reasons, I'm going to have to take the SIU win. Yeah, that's why I don't profess for for this show to ever be like some fake ass like journalistic endeavor where we 
try to be objective because it's like, no, we fucking <laughs> want to win games and we have opinions about it. Um, Piggy asks one more. Piggybacking on my last question, any sh- change in season expectations slash goals after the first couple weeks? He says, I suspect no, but Ken Palm has us at 15 and 15 and 8 and 10, which is exactly right, given that we lost to both Harvard and really to Howard. Uh, my expectations have not changed. I just didn't know that this would be the point in which some of those that turbulence came up. Now, if we get rocked in these next two games or even lose both by double digits, you're going to get a hell of a podcast for one thing. But um, I, I, I may very well have to adjust. Um, because at that point, if you're three and four, you have Temple, Georgia, and Providence on the road. And if you're three and four, and they're not comf- and they're comf- and they're sort of bad losses, you have to assume those are going to be losses too. And that means, at your best case scenario, is to enter conference play at six and seven, which means to get to fifteen, you got to go minimum nine. And while the A10 is down, if you've gone six and seven against you know a not outstanding non-conference slate by any means, with losses to Howard and you know. Harvard and Southern Illinois and you know some of those you know then yeah it's like concerning but we're not there yet so um Bonna bandwagon commenter <laughs> parody account uh joking he said you taking UMass minus 33.5 versus the Bonnies yeah they the the Bonnie land people in Olean are absolutely miserable now I mean as if you weren't miserable living in fucking Olean to begin with <laughs> they're now one in four it's like imagine winter in Olean when you're bad at basketball I mean it's like it's it's essentially death as is but then you compound take away the the one joy that can come amid the ten and a half month winter and it's like wow that fucking sucks but no uh, I would say I would take Bonnie Oh wait! Did he say UMass or Bonnie? UMass minus. So I would say UMass. If the two of those teams played t- today, and it was at UMass where it's expected to be, UMass would be a five and a half point favorite. Bonnie's one and four, but they've lost to like Boise State, Bucknell, like team. They're not losing to like you know North Howard. Carolina Central or whatever, or Howard if we're being candid. <laughs> uh, John Rajkula. On underscore Raj, R-A-J. Just concerned about Holloway defensive issues. Not good at all against Harvard in particular. Yeah, address this. I am concerned about it. He struggles on the pick and roll. There was a play in one of the games. Kind of switched, and he just like sort of stood midway between the hoop and the foul line. Up, and then like a guy pump fake. And he just like jumped. And it was like, why are you doing that? Why are you leaving your feet? And it was an easy bucket. Teams are trying to get him out of position. Yeah, I'm concerned defensively, yes. <laughs> um, the Ice is Life asks, did you get a new mic? No, I'm not getting a new mic. I'm actually getting new headphones. Tonight I used a different pair than last week, and I think it's been better, but I'm going to get a better pair probably when I'm home over Thanksgiving. Um, Bennett has some of the money in our account, and... Uh, he may have accidentally spent it. Look, but ca- he's cable bill, yeah, cable bill's coming. He down. spent it on our kid. Like, I'll be totally honest. Bennett spent. We talked about this just prior to the show. Again, Bennett, 
the Jewish stereotypes really fucking bad right now. <laughs> um, Bennett, <laughs> Bennett, <laughs> Bennett spent it on uh, his cable bill, but he then. So I was like, dude, I need that for like the shit we promised the viewers were like using it. But then he had a great daily fantasy sports day. And he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I'm able to back. And I was like, listen, dude, if you need a little money for the show, like, I get it. You do a lot of work. And, like, I think the fans would totally understand that, like, you know, maybe you just take your 60 bucks that we got on the Calipari interview or whatever and just do, do what you need to do with it. I'll, I'll buy it out of, out of the – we have, like, a tiny bit left over from the stuff I bought earlier. And he was like, no, no, it's cool. I crushed it in Daily Fantasy, so you're good. <laughs> um, so look for that soon. The other thing I'm actually going to do is I'm going to work with my sister, who's very good in the audio realm, when I'm home uh, on how to use the new recorder. So I might just send you the files using this nice new recorder I got. And I'm also going to use that for some interviews um, later in the season, I hope. So uh, Jacob Deschaneaux, D-E-S-C-H-E-N-E-A-U-X, is Don Brown. Truly a pipe dream. And where is your podcast? Uh, I don't know what he means by where is my podcast. It exists in the internet. Um, it's it's everywhere. It's iTunes. It's, it's yeah, Spotify. Spotify iTunes, SoundCloud. iTunes, that might be it. SoundCloud. That Check out my it. SoundCloud. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. If I ever have a tweet that goes viral, I'm going to say, check out my SoundCloud and link to the UMass podcast. <laughs> you set that up at a particular time where every one of the friends of the show just randomly tweets, like retweets something of mine that's like not even that funny. And it's like basically a UMass Twitter like gag. It's like a little bit of a riff. And then I just get to go back and go, check out my SoundCloud. <laughs> and I <link> <laughs> that would be so fucking good. Um, so then he also asked Joe Haramiak or Bob Shoup, who do you take for football coach? Haramiak, I think, is the young guy out of Maine. Bob Shoup is the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. Um, I guess I take the young kid at Maine. But like, his record's not through the roof. I know it's impossible to win in Orono because it's basically Olean, you know, part two. But, like, I don't know. An SEC defensive coordinator who's, like, been at UMass before. I know he had a losing stint at Columbia, but that's a coach's graveyard, and that was 20 years ago. And I think sometimes the guys like that who get a second chance are actually really good. And if we could land him, I think you have to take him, even though that runs counter to everything I said earlier in the show. So, um, <laughs> fuck me. And finally, from C. LaSalle 07, apparently no connection to the college LaSalle um he says is KTM Kalea Turner Morris finally healthy what's going on with unique so I don't if I'm not mistaken was KTM ever by the way KTM sounds like like remember the uh the dude Dominic Strauss Kahn who's I forget who he was a French bank um which charged with sexual assault against like a, a house like made in, in a hotel in New York and it was like all over the tabloids. They called him like DSM or something. I have no idea what you're talking about. I I just think when you hear the initials KTM, it sounds like tabloid horror plot. But anyway, is KTM finally healthy? Was he ever not healthy? I mean, last year at the end of the year, I forget what it was and he was out for a bunch of games, but like I never got the sense that he was healthy. I got the sense that he wasn't always in shape. Still kind of get the sense that he's not entirely in shape. 
but he looked good last night. I just think it's challenging with Chapman now Baptiste coming. Like, where are his minutes going to come from, especially in an offense that's oriented around, you know, four perimeter players. Um, so I think he's healthy. And then he says, "What's going on with Unique?" And we've discussed this at many points in the pa- on, on the program. Like, as I've said a hundred times, Unique McLean is a unique player. His skill set is the only way to describe it, Kelloggian. Um, he's a guy who can jump through the gym, make a spectacular defensive play, albeit get burned back door on more basic plays. He's a guy who can get out in the press. He's a guy who can leap and jump and dunk. But he's not a McCall player. He can't shoot. Um He's not a great, you know, consistent defensive menace type guy. So I think there are moments where I, I mean, I called for him in the Howard game. I really did. I also, you have to wonder, like, what message is McCall trying to send? There's a lot of, you know, ulterior motive stuff at play with all these things in college. Basketball, given that he's oversigned his class for next year and that he hasn't played scholarship guy from the previous coach that's generally pretty red flag um so i think that's what's going on feel for the kid it's it's always a challenging spot to be in i saw him on the bench last night you know his team oriented cheering his guys on whatever i do think there are instances where his athleticism can be a real emotional and sort of psychological spark off the bench you know I'd like to see him in those moments, but those moments, you know, in a, in, a, in a 30 game season are relatively few and far between. There's only been one moment this year where I've been clamoring for him to get off the bench. And that's even then was for, you know, I only wanted him for a spark for a couple of minutes. So I think that's the deal there. I think that's all the questions for tonight. We're not going to have a super long show tonight. I completely violated that promise in part because we discussed kosher Chinese food and other things. <laughs> Um, minimal significance to the vast majority of the uh, listeners of this program. If you didn't like it, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's our show. And uh, we do love you, as Cal would always say. So, uh, Bennett, put this baby up when you get a chance. Try to edit it if you can. I hope you took some notes because yeah, um, there was I got things. it. Uh, the, one anyway. other thing, the one other thing I just oh, want to throw What are you out. thankful for? Uh, well, I'm thankful for, for obviously, our, our great listeners uh, and absolute absolutely wonderful community uh and uh, same I'm, I'm definitely thankful for umass twitter and yeah i think that's um, what i'm really thankful for and uh i'm thankful for i'm thankful for the fact that we're we're going to be entering a new era of umass football i'm thankful selfishly for coaches search coaching searches to like help with the off season yeah. although it's during basketball season so it's a little hard to like focus on both but uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for all the people who allow us to do this show and make it, make it so worth our time and um, have supported the show, financial support, psychological support. If you want to provide any of those, you still can hit Bennett on Venmo or PayPal. Um, and I also, I'm also it, thankful for the number four hockey team in the nation. Let's oh yeah, fuck! How did we forget go. my friend Greg Carver. They're, they're, by the way, what do you think about, uh, I was gonna, what do you think about the expression? It's a wagon. It's an interesting one. I feel like it's one of the first times where I'm feeling older and I'm like, 
can't you just say like they're on the bandwagon? But I yeah. do kind of like it. Yeah. I, the I, other full expression the other day is I, I recently heard is like when kids talk about it slapped. Like it. Oh, banged, that that, it was that, a that song fucking slaps. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. And it's, but I'm starting to feel like wow. Like I used to know those things before other people, you know, and I don't anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, so, all right, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, yeah, the one other thing I just want to throw out, a little cross-promotion here. Um, I just started a new podcast with a friend of mine from work. That Basically, it's this podcast helped start it, basically. It, it just, it's talking, it's called 12 Over 5, um, and it's basically he and I, he went to East Carolina, I obviously went to UMass, and it's just discussing mid-major schools and their fandoms. It can be a lot of probably 20 to 25 minute, just short episodes with interviews going like, Hey, you went to UTSA. What's the fandom like there? And just stuff like that. Uh, I tweeted out the link recently. I think it's on Spotify. It should be up on iTunes in the next couple of days. This is so niche, but I fuck with it. Well, that's, that's what it, it's, you know what? Like we're not doing it for, to get famous. We're doing it because we legitimately like, when we work together, we just yell about our sports teams at each other. Yeah, and, to, and to be clear, I'm doing the UMass basketball podcast for two hours every week precisely to get massively famous. That's what it's all yeah, about here. That's that's well, guys, when no. they get big, I'm, you'll, I'm, you'll get all the picks. All of you, I'm using all of you to just get famous, you know, pick up women, um, <laughs> shout out to my wife, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, peace. Yeah, yeah. have a good one, guys.